We'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 14. We'll continue, of course, our study of 1 Samuel, this history book. We're going through it. We're seeing the time, basically going from the time of the judges, which was Samuel, the last judge, to the time of the kings, which is going to be Saul's going to be the first king, and then David will be the second king. And right now, there's a, there's a, a war going on. There's a battle going on between the Jews and the, the Philistines. The Philistines have had the upper hand. In fact, they've got a much bigger army, and they're supposed to defeat the Jewish people. But we're seeing a battle because Jonathan, slipped over basically out of the camp, that's Jonathan, his Saul's son, and attacked the Philistines, had a great victory. God caused an earthquake to come, and so all kind of things are coming. And, and so we're going to see the conclusion of Saul's battle with the Philistines this morning, and we've seen what happened. Now, we're seeing the contrast, because we're going to find that Saul is a man of the flesh. We hate to say it, but because Saul started out so good, he started out uh, doing what God wanted him to do, but the further we get into it, the further we see his life, the more he turns away from God, the more he's a man of the flesh, the more he wants, uh, he's, he's a man of pride, and he wants uh, people to know about him. We've already seen that in a victory that Jonathan got, Saul claimed victory for Jonathan, and, and all kind of things. And so, in the middle of a battle, Saul makes a foolish oath, and that's what we call it, and this oath, Saul made an oath that affected the army, that affected the battle, and even affected his son, Jonathan, and we'll see that this morning as we go through it. So, there are a lot in this passage. We'll go fairly quickly. We'll start at verse 31 and go through the end of the chapter, uh, but it's narrative, and we'll go uh, fairly quickly. You know, when you're kids, you used to say things like, uh, I promise, and I cross my heart, and hope to die, and that was sort of like a vow or something. Jesus said you don't have to really do that. In fact, in our lives, even now, if we said, let your yes, he said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, and that's good enough. We know that sometimes when you go into a courtroom or something, you have to make an oath and say, I, I tell, I'll, I'll, I'll tell the truth, or sometimes you have a, a, a contract or something, and you sign it and say, okay, I'll fulfill my end of that contract. Well, this morning, we're going to see that Saul made this oath, and it's a very foolish oath. We saw it last week, and we saw the battle, the uh, first of the battle last week. As we look at this, one of the things we see is that our, fact, our actions actually affect other people. We'll see what, what Saul did affected a lot of people, and then we talk about the importance of our relationship and fellowship with our Savior. Remember, Jonathan and his armor bearer left the camp of, of the Jews, slipped over, came up the side of a rocky place and fought the Philistines. And just those two guys killed 20 of the Philistines. Philistines started running off. All of a sudden, God brought an earthquake. The Philistines started killing each other. The Jews saw that, and they began to attack. And so everything is going good, and they're de destroying the enemy. But right in the middle of the war, of the battle, Saul makes an oath. And if you look at back at 1 Samuel 14, verse 24, it says, now the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day. Why? For Saul had put the people under an oath, saying, cursed be the man who eats food before the evening, and until I I have avenged myself on my enemies, so none of the people tasted food. Now, there's some several things that are wrong with this thing. First of all, he's made this vow and, and that, that none of his soldiers can eat anything until he gets victory over his enemy. Well, first of all, it, vengeance doesn't belong to him. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But the cursing there, he says, if somebody eats food before the battle is over, then they're going to be cursed, which usually meant he'll put them to death. We can see the wrong thing by Saul. First of all, Saul doesn't, he's not thinking, God gives the victory, not Saul. He says, I'm going to get victory over my enemy. No, God gives the victory. And then he talked about getting vengeance. God gets the vengeance, not Saul. And so we've talked about that. And so at the end of verse 24, it says, so none of the people tasted food. 
Now, if you remember that Jonathan and his armor bearer had slipped out of the camp, they were already fighting the Philistines. They did not know that Saul made this oath that no soldier can eat anything until the end of the battle. So while Jonathan is there, he actually eats something. Look at verse 27. Jonathan had not heard uh, when his father put the people under oath. Therefore, he put the end of his staff that was in his hand, and he dipped it in a honeycomb, and he put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Now, he's out there fighting, and other people are fighting, and he doesn't know anything about the oath, and he's hungry, and he sees honeycomb, honey, so he sticks a staff down there, gets some honey on the end of it, and then eats it. And he goes, man, I feel great now. I feel really good. I feel like... Like I could keep on fighting. The rest of the people are just dragging, and they go, "Hey, your your father said you weren't nobody's supposed to eat anything till the end of the battle." And Jonathan looks at him, and you know what Jonathan probably thought was, "Well, how stupid was that?" I mean, we're out trying to win a battle, and my father says nobody can eat. Look how good I feel now that I ate. Look, in fact, look down at verse 28. One of the people told him, he said, your father strictly put the people under an oath and said, curses the man to eat the foods. And then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have brightened? He says, I feel so much better. Now, as we look at this passage, and as we look at really the rest of 1 Samuel, uh, we're going to see that Saul is a man of the flesh, Jonathan is a man of faith, David is a man of faith, and that's what we're going to see over and over. Let me give you the outline for this passage that we're looking at this morning. We're going to see the spoil from the battle, we're going to see Saul's plan, we're going to see Jonathan gets rescued, we'll talk about what happens there, and we'll see the summary of Saul's kingdom. And so there's some of it, we'll go through it fairly quickly, and some of it we won't, but just remember this, what Saul did affected a lot of people. And sometimes we don't think about it. The actions of Saul affected the rest of the people. First of all, it limited the victory because the men were too tired to fight. Second, it led to sin. We're going to see this. They get animals and they start eating them without draining the blood. And we'll say, well, what's the big deal? What's going on? We'll talk about it. And then the third thing is Jonathan almost got killed in this thing and the people had to intervene. And sometimes we don't realize how our actions affect others. And, and the truth is this, we never, we never sin in a vacuum. When we say, I'm going to do something, and if you say to yourself, I'm going to do something but nobody will know, and it won't, it won't affect anybody but me, but sometimes we don't realize that, that people do know, and it does affect more. It affects your relationship with God, and then it affects your relationship with fellow believers. And if you have sin in your life, not only are you out of fellowship with God, you're out of fellowship with fellow believers. So sin affects more than just you. And when Saul made this decision to say, you can't do this, he affected all kind of people. He affected the, 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 the soldiers and all kind of things. And we realize that. So let's talk about limiting the victory. In verse 29, Jonathan said, my father has, basically, and let me put this up just for you. This is a limiting the victory. He says, my father's trouble the land. See how my eyes brighten because I tasted the honey? How much more, verse 30, if the people had eaten freely today, the spoil of the enemies which they found, for now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. He said, we could have won big. We, we could have wiped them out. We could, have, we could have won a great victory over the Philistines. Now, let me just remind you, the Philistines were called the sea people. They lived in the, basically the, the southwest part of the nation of the land, and they had five capital cities that, that, that they had, and uh, they would attack the Jews, and the Jews would attack them, and they fought constantly. And the whole time that Saul was the king, 
They fought with Israel the whole time. When David became the king, David defeated them. David defeated everybody, and he put everything down and made it a time of peace so that when Solomon came along, it was a time of peace and Solomon could build the temple. So we'll see that later on. So what happens? Now watch as the result. So you're, you're one of the soldiers of the nation of Israel. You've just defeated your enemy. They've run off, and suddenly you see all these animals that were left behind and you're starving to death. Look. Verse 31. They struck the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the people were very weary. They fought. They're hungry. They're tired. The people rushed greedily upon the spoil, and they took the sheep and the oxen and the calves, and they slew them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. They went and got the animals, and they started killing the animals, and they started eating the animals without draining the blood out of them. And you say, well, what, what is sort of the big deal? Under the Mosaic law, you had to drain the blood out. In fact, let me show you this. It's Deuteronomy 12, 30, 23 and 24. It says, only be sure not to eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Under the Mosaic law, they weren't supposed to drink blood or have anything to do with blood. In fact, they said the life is in the blood. That's, and so when the blood drained out, that's when a presumptive was dead is how they looked at it. And they said, you're not to do that. Leviticus uh, chapter 3 says exactly the same thing. So Jewish people weren't supposed to eat the meat with the blood still in it. Now, they're so hungry, they're violating the Mosaic law. And it says, the people rushed greedily upon the spoil. And they took the sheep and the oxen and the calves and they slew them on the ground and the people ate them with the blood. Now watch what happened. This oath was so big that it led to the sin of the people. They were so hungry they violated the law. So in verse 33, they came and told Saul saying, behold, the people are sinning. They're sinning against the Lord by eating with blood. And he said, this is what Saul says, you have acted treacherously. Roll a great stone to me today. So he said, they came up to him and they said, uh, they violated the word of God. And he said, they've acted treacherously, which means they broke faith. Now, whose fault was it? Now, you, you, the people are responsible for their actions, but who put them in the situation that they were so hungry that they violated? I mean, you, have you ever been that hungry? I mean, usually, when I was growing up, I, I didn't care that much about eating. I just didn't. I mean, I, was, I wanted to play it. I wanted to run. I wanted to do kind of stuff all the time. Now that I'm older, I eat all the time if I can, every time. So, and I'm hungry. Sometimes when I see something, I want it. And I, I might say, well, if I eat that right now, I probably won't be able to eat supper, very, but I'm still going to eat it right now. And that's what they're doing. They're so hungry that they, they realize, you know, we shouldn't do this because of the Mosaic law. But we're so hungry, we're going to do this. And so th this, that oath, and that's why I said the oath by Saul was, was really a, a, a dumb thing. And, and, and if you remember, he said, I'm going to avenge my enemies, and I'm going to defeat my enemies, and he's wrong. It's God who gets the victory, and it's God who gets the vengeance. And so Saul already is looking at it in the wrong way. So here's what Saul does. He comes up with a good, he comes up with a good idea. Saul said, disperse yourself among the people, verse 34. Say to them, each one of you bring me his ox or his sheep or slaughter it here and eat it. Do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So all the people that night brought each one his ox with him and slaughtered it there. So they did what was right. He said, just let's get a big stone. And he said, let's get a big rock and you can bring the animals, put them up on the rock. We'll kill them there. We'll drain the blood out. Then you can go eat. And that's obeying the Mosaic law. And, and when we look at that, that, that looks good because if you look down at verse 35, then Saul built an altar to the Lord. And it was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Well, Saul builds an altar to the Lord. When you look at that, you think, oh man, he's, 
He's spiritual. Well, you know, you're supposed to have built altars to the Lord at different times. That's what he should have done. It says here, this is the first one that he's doing. And he does stand out and look like he's doing the right thing. But it's really easy. It's easy sometimes for us to look good outwardly, but not really be good inwardly. And sometimes, especially when you think about coming to church, everybody kind of dresses up and everybody happy. And you may have driven up here and been in the biggest fight in the car when you got there. And then you get out and you walk in and everybody's all smiling and everybody's happy. And so sometimes we put it on, on outwardly, but not how we are inwardly. And I think Saul is trying to look good outwardly, but he's not that good inwardly. It's the time when you think about what Jesus said to the Pharisees and to the scribes and the Sadducees. He said, you, you look like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but your inside you're full of dead bones. He said, and sometimes, uh, that's what they're doing. And I think Saul, Saul is a is a is a, a amazing man. He's taller than anybody else. He's handsomer than anybody else. He's everything, and yet he's moving away. Instead of having victory, instead of living for God, instead of doing what God wants him to do, he's moving away. And we're going to see it not only beginning here, just by him saying, "I want my vengeance over my enemies." It's God who gets the vengeance, and it's God who gives the victory, and he's already moved away, and we've seen him make this vow, and so what is going to happen? Now, before we go any further, I want to remind you that Saul's men know that the real hero is Jonathan. Now, Jonathan is the one that's won the battle. If you remember earlier, back in another chapter, they attacked, Jonathan attacked the Philistines, had a great victory. Saul blew the trumpet and announced Saul has gained victory over the Philistines. It wasn't Saul, it was Jonathan. Now in this battle, Jonathan has gone, defeated the enemy, started all of this, and they're all running off. And Saul is saying, I've got to get my victory over my enemy, my vengeance. Once again, he, everybody knows that Jonathan is really the hero. So look what happens. Saul comes up with a plan. He says, let's do this. Verse 36, Saul said, let's go down after the Philistines by night. Let's take spoil among them until morning light, and let's not leave a man of them. And they said, well, do whatever seems good to you. So the priest said, well, let us draw near to God. Now, Saul has this plan. He says, since we've already defeated them today, let's just keep on going. Now that y'all got something to eat, let's just go attack them at night and let's just kill every one of them we can. Of course, the soldiers don't know what to say. They go, well, whatever you think is best. But notice the priest. The priest said, wait a minute. Let's draw near to God here. So the priest is saying, let's go, let, wait a minute, before we go do all this, let's talk to God. Let's talk to God. The priest is named Ahijah. He's back in chapter 14, verse 18. That's where we find out his name. And if you can just see that Saul is in such a hurry that he says, let's just go fight. But the priest says, wait a minute, shouldn't we, shouldn't we talk to God? And see, sometimes we're so busy doing what we think we want to do and trying to live out our lives that we leave God out oftentimes. And we're going to see what Saul is trying to do. Now, let me remind you of something. How do they inquire of God? We said, first of all, they had taken the ark to the battleground. The last time they did that, we said it was a disaster. They took the ark to the battleground. This is when Eli was the priest. They took it out there. They lost to the Philistines, and the Philistines stole the ark. Then finally it came back. 
they brought the ark again. Now, we said this, though. There's the priest there. And I told you last week, so let me just remind you just so you can understand it. When the priest, he had a special, he had robes, and he had a, seat, a sash that went around and tied everything. And then he had a, a hat, a little thing that covered his head, but it had a thing sticking up that was made, they think, out of gold, and it had holy to the Lord written across the top right there. Then he had this, uh, what they called an ephod, and it came down, and it had 12 stones in this thing in front of it, uh, three on each row, so four rows, three, of, uh, and they were the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, there was another part, and that we don't really understand it, but we think there was something like a pocket at the top part of this thing in which they kept two little things called the Urim and the Thummim. And we talked about it last week. And we don't know whether they were stones that they pulled out and threw out and tried to get yes or no answers. Now, the only problem is if it was just yes or no answers, we could say yes. But there were times that they used the Urim and the Thummim and they got answers from God, not yes or no. So I, we don't understand it. The Bible doesn't explain it. We just know they have those two things. So the best that we can tell, when the priest said, let's draw near to God, what he was probably saying is, we need to check with God, we need to find out what we're supposed to do, okay? And so look at verse 37. So Saul inquired of God. He said, okay, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand, give into the hand of Israel? So he asked two questions to God. Shall we go fight the Philistines, and, and will, will you give us the victory? But, notice verse 37, he did not answer him on that day. He didn't answer him. And, and in fact, you could see the priest going, um, God's not saying anything. Which, that's not good, by the way. That's not good, okay? And so why? Why is it, the, why there's no answer? Because Saul is the one that's out of fellowship. Saul is the one saying, I want to avenge my enemies. Saul is the one that's doing all kinds of things. Saul is the one that made a foolish vow. Saul is doing all these things. And, and, and Saul really needs to say, wait a minute. What am I doing? But he doesn't because what Saul tries to do, he's a man of pride. He wants the glory. He thinks it's his victory. He thinks it's his vengeance. Saul doesn't want to admit that it's his sin. He always rationalizes. He wants to blame others. And before this is over, he's going to almost kill his son, Jonathan. And so look what happens. Saul says, we got to find out who's at fault here. So look at verse 38. Saul said, draw near here, all you chiefs of the people. He Give me the main people here. And let's investigate and see how this sin has happened today. If God's not talking, some, something's wrong, let's find out who did wrong. Now notice this, verse 39. For as the Lord lives, who delivers Israel, though it is in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not one of the people answered him. Saul is acting really pious, and he says, why, even if my son is the one who did wrong, he will surely die today. Now, all the people know that Jonathan is the one that ate the, ate the honey. They know it. They're not saying a word, because they don't want to say, oh, by the way, it's your son. They don't want to say that, and they don't think he did anything wrong. Now, before we go any further, I want to remind you, Jonathan never knew about the vow. Jonathan was already in the battle fighting when Saul made the vow. So when Jonathan reached down there and got the honey and ate it, he didn't know he did anything wrong, so he never knew about the vow. And when they told him and said, your, dad, your father said you couldn't eat anything, and he went, what? Well, look, it helped me a lot. It would have helped everybody else. So now Jonathan violated the oath, but he never even knew about the oath. So let's see what happens. 
He says in verse 39, for as the Lord lives who delivers Israel, though it is Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. He actually says, I'll kill my son if it's my son. Notice the people never said a word because they said it is his son, but we, he didn't do anything wrong. So verse 40, then he said to all Israel, you get on one side, nine Jonathan my son will be on the other side and we'll cast the lots. And he said to Saul, and they all said, do what seems best. Therefore Saul said to the Lord, the God of Israel, give me this a perfect lot. So they cast lots. Lots were pieces of stone and they threw them down and you could somehow get a yes or no answer out of it. And they say, is it the people or is it Jonathan and Saul? And when it throws it out, it's Jonathan and Saul. It says, then he said to the Lord, give us a perfect lot and Jonathan and Saul were taken and the people escaped so all the people said it's not us and so it now is down to two people Jonathan and Saul and so what's going to happen here what will happen and then it says Saul said cast lots between me and Jonathan my son and Jonathan was taken see lot fell on silence Saul, and then it says Jonathan was taken he had broken Saul's oath now he broke it but he didn't know he broke it he didn't even know there was an oath he didn't know anything about it now let's just face it should he get into trouble to break a vow they didn't even know that was offered the answer is no we should not have and first of all Saul should have said well that's just the way it is and and you didn't know so you're not responsible but look at Jonathan. I want you to see the character of this man. Look at verse, uh, verse 42. Saul said, cast lots between Jonathan, my son, and Jonathan was taken. In verse 43, then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. So Jonathan said, I, I, I indeed tasted honey with the end of the staff that was in my hand. Well, here I am. I must die. Do you understand that Jonathan was willing to die for an oath his father made and he didn't even know about it because Jonathan is a man of character. Jonathan says, well, I guess if I violated the oath, even though I didn't even know it, then I must die. Now, if you were Saul, what would you say? Oh, son, you didn't even know about it, right? Wouldn't you say that to your son? You'd say, honey, you didn't even know about it. How could You can't be responsible for the oath that you didn't even know about. He says, I must die. I must die. But look what happened. Saul said, verse 44, may God do this to me and more also for you shall surely die, Jonathan. You know what he just said? Yeah, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you because you ate the honey and you, uh, even though you didn't know you're supposed to eat, not eat it. Saul was willing to kill his son because his son ate some honey and he didn't even know about it. Why would Saul do that? Well, first of all, Saul was willing to kill his son. Why? Because of his pride. First of all, he didn't want to admit that that was a stupid oath. It was a bad oath. You shouldn't have put an oath out that caused your army not to be able to win. It caused your army to go in there and just eat all kind of stuff without putting the blood out. And now it's going to put your son to death because of your foolish oath. You ought to admit, well, it was a bad oath to begin with. Second is, he's got pride. Jonathan is now the hero. He's not the hero. He wasn't a hero in the first battle. He's not the hero in the second battle. And I think he's already to the point that says, listen, there's only one hero around here, and that's me. And if Jonathan has to die, he's going to have to die because I still need to be the hero. And I think that's what we see. And But notice what happened. Verse 45, but the people said to Saul, must Jonathan die? 
who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel, he's the hero. Far from it, as the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. The people rebelled. Now, this is very unusual. You won't find hardly any place in the Scripture where somebody gives a vow, and then people cancel out the vow. I think we realized that it was a very foolish vow. Second is, Jonathan never heard about the vow, and so the people intervened and said, he's not going to die. In fact, he's our hero. Now, I don't think Saul liked that. I don't think Saul liked that they thought Jonathan was the hero. You're going to remember, if you've remembered, if you've studied uh, the books before, when David becomes the, a soldier and they come in from battle and the women come out and they say, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. And immediately Saul went, wait a minute. He doesn't get more people than me. And uh, so Saul is a selfish man and he looks at this and he realizes I'm going to put Jonathan to death because he's becoming the hero. And the people said, no, you're not. He must not die. Far from it. He's the one that bought the great deliverance. And so the people recognized the leadership of Jonathan. Do you understand that later on when David gets in the picture, that Saul not only tries to kill David, Saul tries to kill his son, Jonathan. Saul is becoming mentally ill. Before it's over, we're going to see in the next two to three chapters, Saul becomes mentally ill. Saul is all messed up. Saul wants to kill his son. Saul wants to kill David. Saul uh, can't get an answer from God because he's out of fellowship with God. So it's a powerful thing. So look at verse 46. So then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So the battle is over. What kind of man was Saul? When you think about it, he was not a leader. He failed to unite uh, to lead the people in the army. He failed to unite the nation, and he openly disobeyed God. We're going to see several times in the next chapter or two, he's going to openly disobey what God told him to do. That's going to be his downfall. Let me tell you that in the Old Testament, <clears throat> there were two kinds of sins. There were sins that they just they named it. Sin couldn't help it. <laughs> And then they named um, uh, uh, sins that, that you did that you did on purpose, that you purposely did. Under the Mosaic Law, if you sinned when you couldn't help it, you just did something and you went, oh, I didn't mean to do that, you could bring a sacrifice and that would cover that sin. But in the sins in which you openly were in rebellion against God under the Mosaic Law, there was not a sacrifice. Not a sacrifice. So you just said, I will take whatever discipline the Father sends me. We're seeing that God is going to deal with him because he openly disobeys God. And Samuel has to tell him some really hard news, and we'll see it to come. Let me give you a quick, uh, quick part. We'll just end right here. It says, now, when King Saul had, had, take, had, Saul had taken over the kingdom of Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, Ammon, Edom, sons of Zobat, the Philistines, and whoever he turned to inflict punishment. I brought just a little map just to show you. Here's, of course, Israel. There's the kingdom of Judah, and the kingdom, uh, the, the kingdom is not divided at this time. It's still one big kingdom. Later, it's going to be Israel and Judah, but, they, but uh, Saul is living in this area. Area and in this area, the enemies are the Edomites, they're down here. The Moabites, they're there. The Ammonites, they're there. We've already seen some of the Ammonites. They're the ones that were going to poke those people's eyes out in Beth Shemesh. You remember that? And then there are 
They're the Philistines over here on the coast end of it. They're the, they're the call the sea people. This, lo, this group down here ties together, goes back to the Amalekites and those people. There's the Phoenicians. There's the uh, Amram, the Arameans, which later on they come at the time of, uh, of Elijah and uh, uh, that time of Elijah and Elisha. We'll see them, that people come to power there. And so these are the enemies that he fights the whole time. And he never gains victory over the Philistines. When David becomes the king, David begins to defeat every one of these people, every one of them. And he makes the world peaceful. And when he gets ready to die, he turns it over to his son Solomon. And because there is no war, Solomon is able to build the temple. So that's the enemies that they're fighting, and that's what we see. He goes on and says, uh, he acted valiantly in verse 48. Verse 49, Just let me just quickly just give that for you. In 49 through the end, it basically says, the sons of Saul were Jonathan. That's the favorite one that we love. Then one called Ishvi. His name is really Ishvosheth. We'll see him later on. Then Malkachua, and the name of his two daughters were Merab and Michael. Now, we're going to see them because... Uh, that's going to come into the life of David. And then Saul's wife, they name his wife, and they name his, the captain of his army was Abner, and they name his family. And then we get to verse 52, and it says this. Now, the war against the Philistines was severe all the days of Saul. And whenever Saul saw a mighty man or a valiant man, he attested himself to a staff. Listen, uh, John, uh, uh, Saul's never going to win. He's never going to defeat the Philistines. And if you get to the end of the book... Saul is in a battle against the Philistines, and the Philistines win, and Saul takes the sword and kills himself. That's how he ends his life. So he never defeats the Philistines. I want you to notice something that says, whenever Saul saw a valiant man, he attached him. I want to show you a difference. Saul had to recruit people to fight for him. David never had to recruit people. People just came to David. That's two different kind of men. Saul said, you have to come fight with me. And they went, okay. When David, they came and said, can we fight with you? And he said, yes. That's the difference in the people. Let me give you some applications very quickly. Let's realize that our sin affects others and not just ourselves. Do realize we do not sin in a vacuum. That when we sin, that affects us and others. We saw that Saul makes the foolish oath and the things that he does, it affects other people as well. We want to be people of faith, not flesh. We don't want to be like Saul who lived for himself, who was a, a man of pride. We want to be like Jonathan and David who are men of faith. The second application is let's not leave God out of our lives. Saul got so busy, he's just going to go fight. And the priest said, no, wait a minute, shouldn't we, shouldn't we talk to God before we go? And so what we realize is that we want our lives to count for God. Romans 12, 1, offer our lives as living sacrifices. We want to live for God. And remember this, that God gives the victory and God gets the vengeance. It's God who gives the victory. And we talked about vengeance. We talked about it in Grow Group this morning because that, that came up in our passage looking at the life of Elisha. But remember, we don't get vengeance. When people do us wrong, leave it to the Lord. In fact, he says, return evil with what? With good. So vengeance belongs to the Lord. The last one is just remember, keep our word. When you make a vow, keep it, but you don't have to. All you have to do is let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's what Jesus said. Just say, listen, just say yes, and your character means if I said yes, I'll do it. You don't have to have some kind of loophole, and you don't have to have some kind of swear before God. You can just say yes, and that should be enough. So let's keep our word.